choreographer, you do the dance. Collaborators. Let me play my part. Check two, hey. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. Uh, if it's a complicated case, if it's somebody who has had, you know, extensive traumatic background, I, a lot of times we'll start with what might be a small t trauma, and a small t trauma is something that has nothing to do with the origins of their acute trauma. It might be something that, that they, um, a teacher made a comment to them and it was hurtful to them, it might be that a colleague didn't validate the work they were doing. It might be that somebody cut them off and then had fall words for them on the highway. Uh, so here and now, uh, oftentimes short issues that are constrained by time, a single incident type of thing. I might start them out with that and just watch how their brain processes because that'll give me more information about their ability then to go f further into more traumatic kind of material. Mm -hmm. So there are safeguards, like if you're trained in this and you practice the proper safeguards, um, it is a, it's a very powerful type of therapy that can be used to treat people and, and to bring some uh, order and some some peace to people's lives. Sure. So this is a phrase that's thrown around more and more. I bet you have a lot of opinions about armchair psychologists. Everybody's a psychologist, right? Just to get through their life and have relationships and go to work and everything. We all have to size up situations and size yeah. up the people we're dealing with. Yeah. But then people start throwing around clinical phrases and everybody's diagnosing each other and diagnosing themselves and on and on. And um, it's almost become like a political thing these days on the left and on the right to use this phrase safe space. I'd like to strip away all the like street vernacular of it and bring it into this clinical setting and have you explain what does that mean? What is the purpose of it? And can you juxtapose that with the exposure concept where it's kind of the opposite of, of the safe space and you're bringing them to the danger in a way that they can reprocess it? Mm-hmm. Well, a safe space in terms of my office would be that I have worked with a client to know that they are capable of the state change. Like that's an, that's an ability or a skill set that I can work with them on so they achieve that. My office is not a safe space in the sense that safety comes from within. One sense of safety comes from within. Um, I don't expect people to trust me when they start working with me. They've probably, some of them have never trusted anybody for good reason. Hmm. But I want to create a sense of an environment where clients are heard and they are respective and we are collaborators. 
I like to say, you know, I'm the choreographer, you do the dance. And we are only as good as uh, how we can collaborate with other and how well I listen to you and then respond to that material so that I'm on the same page with you. Mm -hmm. So I think by doing that consistently, that creates some safe space for people to do the work they do. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like, again, with the alpha state and the empowerment talk that we were having earlier, that that contributes to a person's sense of that sense of control and that sense of safety as well. That that's a critical factor to start doing the work where you do get closer to those dangerous memories. Yes, yes. I think it's good to clear that up just because so many people make a joke out of it these days. Like, oh, all you liberals with your safe spaces. It's like, well, it's not a liberal or conservative thing, you know. I mean, the military is a very conservative organization, as you well know. Um, but the 22 vets who kill themselves every day, I feel like they deserved a safe space. They deserved a place where they could say, this is what I'm going through and this is where I'm at, this is my plan, and I don't know how to disrupt it. And maybe someone could have disrupted it and they could still be here. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so it's not a left and right thing or a weakness thing. To me, it's all about really understanding the meaning in a clinical setting. So, okay, we haven't talked yet about what the EMDR literally is, the eye movement part. Now, I remember this tripod and a machine with a bunch of bulbs left to right, and the, he could set the speed and set the eye level, you know, the vertical level of it. Mm -hmm. um, what's actually physically going on in the brain that's, that's helping people as the actual eye movement is happening? Okay, well, just to back up a little bit, uh, when you described what you just described for mm -hmm. people who aren't familiar with that, that's called a light bar, and it's one of the techniques or apparatus that is used in EMDR therapy. A key principle in EMDR therapy is the use of bilateral stimulation. And by bi bilateral stimulation, I mean both hemispheres of the brain are getting stimulated. There are a variety of ways in which that can take place. The first is eye movements, hence the name, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. But there are other ways that you can achieve that result through other forms of bilateral stimulation. One is through tactile tappers, they're called. And what that is, a little device that you hold uh, paddles and that each paddle sends out kind of a very nice vibration, like almost feels like a massage. And on your hands, you hold them in one in each hand and then the, the sensation uh, rotates. So you can use eye movements like the light bar or you can use just simple eye movements that cross the bridge of your nose. Um, people can do it with their hands or fingers. They can, uh, if they don't want to wear out their arm, they can use extenders such as uh, pointers that teachers use or pencils mm -hmm. even help. This reminds me of hypnosis almost. Like this idea that when you use the left and right hemisphere at the same time, and I don't know if the brain usually tries to use only one or if it's rare for both of them to be activated at once, but that this has a calming effect on people. Is that kind of what it is? I think it's different than hypnosis. I mean, they've, they've looked at that, um, and the state is different in sure. terms of internal state. The outcome, yeah. Um, but you asked about the mechanism. There are different theories on it. The one I favor the most is that it mimics REM sleep. And the rapid eye movement during REM sleep is innately there to help consolidate memories. And so really through the process of EMDR therapy, we want to consult, I'm sorry, we want to um, co consolidate memory. 
So one of the things to think about is that when a person experiences trauma, a simple way of looking at it is as if that experience gets stuck in their brain. In other words, it's not digesting, it's not metabolizing, it's staying stuck in here and now memory as opposed to being stored in long-term memory in the form of a narrative experience. Right. And so what the bilateral movements do, the eye movements, they mimic the REM sleep and they assist in the consolidation of that memory. So it's as if it takes it out of that hypervigilant subcortical area of the brain and it moves that activation to the part of the brain that stores longer term memories. And so if you look at brain scans, because they've studied this with brain scans, what you'll see is you'll see after an EMDR session or sessions, you will see less activity in the subcortical areas, especially the amygdala, which is the danger center. Mm. And you'll see higher activation in the prefrontal cortex, and that's our thinking brain. And that's exactly what we want. If we didn't have that, a person walking in a forest who had a previous experience of being bitten by a snake might look and see on the side of their eyes uh, a long, skinny branch and go into a full-blown panic attack. Sure. But with the greater activation in the executive functioning of the brain, what happens is that part of the brain can come online, it can make an assessment, it can, in microseconds, make an a judge, judgment to determine, oh, I don't need to activate the subcortical area of my brain and put me in a panic state because that's just a, that's just a narrow stick I'm seeing. Yeah. So... That prefrontal cortex that's doing the, the, I guess, executive function type thinking, is that also associated with an alpha state and that, that feeling of well-being and empowerment, or not as much? It's involved in how you process information to be able to get there, but alpha states can be produced without intent, intentionally thinking sure. about it. So. And it's, there's a part of the prefrontal cortex, it's called the medial prefrontal cortex, that is especially important because what happens with trauma is some of the fibers that normally would be doing proper connections on a neurological basis to the subcortical areas, they, get, they, get, they go a little haywire. They don't, they don't function properly. Mm -hmm. And so through the process of EMDR, it is believed that certain neural networks that have been segregated or disenfranchised start to hook up with adaptive processing and then you be then you're in that place where you can actually make that assessment that's just a a stick out there it's not really anything that's going to threaten me for sure is that uh some of the EMDR desensitization and reprocessing part um trying to undo some of the associations with otherwise benign objects, like say someone's sexually assaulted and there happens to be a red van going by, and for the rest of their life a red van freaks exactly. them out. Exactly. You're exactly right. And so whether it's the child who comes in with having been bitten and can't freaks out at any sound of a dog or sight of a dog, or whether it's the person who is freaked out by that van where the either the car accident occurred or the abuse took place, Yes, exactly. It's desensitizing those stimuli. 
-hmm. So they no longer hold that power to create that panic. So what does a first session maybe entail? We talked about the light bar and setting that up. What I remember um, is a little bit of like trying to make sure it's physically comfortable, right? Is this at the eye level that you like? Is this a speed that you like? And I didn't know at the time if that was something where they wanted to give the client as much control as possible, just arbitrarily let them make decisions, or if those things really do affect um, the effectiveness of the therapy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. And what's important first and foremost is that the client is comfortable. So for example, if you're doing eye movements and they're too fast, you're gonna probably get lightheaded and nauseous. We don't want that. You can puke. I've never had anybody puke. Wow, I hadn't I've had people, people talk sick. about nausea, but really? what I do, when the, if, if that should happen, what I do is I do slow bilaterals so that they get to that calm place. And so I've, you know, I've had my trash can ready, but <laughs> so far so good. <laughs> this is going to get more adventurous than we expected. Um, no, I mean, I remember the work being, and I haven't done it, but uh, watching from the outside, um, want to segue into preparing people for how difficult the work is doing real trauma work um, for people who've had maybe not just a single isolated incidence, but for people who've had, like you mentioned before, people who have no reason to trust anyone. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movie. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is strong! Amplified!